Many of the best franchisees and franchisors have benefited from sound advice by business coaches. So join me in this episode of Franchise You, where I do something different and talk with a business coach who has several podcasts and has a company. So please listen to Dom Rubino, who is the owner of Profit Tool Belt, Cabinet Maker Profit System, and Biz Strat Plan, as he provides some really great tips for all of us in business. Welcome to the Franchise You Podcast, where key industry leaders provide education and inspiration. Here's your host, Dr. Kathy Gosser, the director of the Yum Center for Global Franchise Excellence at the University of Louisville. And welcome to another episode of Franchise You. So with me today, I have a real treat. I have Dom Rubino, who has a varied and exciting career. You're a business coach, a business owner, and a podcaster. And so your three companies, Dom, are Profit Tool Belt, Cabinet Maker Profit System, and Biz Strat Plan. So I just think that's amazing. Welcome. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, it's so great to have you here. You know, you're also the chair of something called GSEA, which is a Global Student Entrepreneurship Awards. Right. And I can't wait to talk about that. That's in Vancouver. It's focused on students. So, you know, I want to talk about that one. Oh, right. Yeah. And I'm the past chair of the GSEA, I think. I, but it's, it is it is a fantastic organization. I'm a super huge fan of it and happy to talk about that till, Excellent. till cows come and, home. And we certainly will. And then also, but what really mm. grabbed me was you started your career very early as a franchisee in high school. So let's unpack that. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that yeah. experience? Sure. Well, it was university and it was by accident of all things. So it was, I don't know if the company's around anymore, but it was a student painting franchise called Triple A Student Painters. And I just remember they took us through this training or some sort of onboarding thing. And at the end, they brought out this paperwork and said, now you're going to be a franchisee. So sign this. Now, listen, there's a good chance I wasn't paying attention, oh, but wow. I signed it anyway. And I became a student painting franchisee. And, you know, I learned a lot about their systems um, because I knew I needed systems. I, I had tried business before myself and it just, you know, it was fun, but it didn't work. You know, I, I totally agree with you. That's the beauty of the franchise model is that it provides you with a proven system. Right. So how did you leave that and start your own entrepreneurial journey? Oh, there is. So first, there's no handrails in my life and there's yeah. no straight lines. So, you know, that was back in college when I had the student painting franchise. And then I finished university. Of all things, I have a degree in archaeology. I'm a forensic anthropologist, which makes oh, no wow. sense. No sense at all. But uh, that's only because I kept getting good marks in that. So I just gotcha. kept doing that. And then I went out on my own and I went into corporate, you know, as you do, because there's not a lot you can do with a degree in archaeology. Really. Mm -hmm. so, I can like, see that. You know, it's like getting a fine arts degree in Renaissance English or something You're like, what is that? But I've always had the entrepreneurial itch, always, mm -hmm. always. So even when I was working in corporate, I had side jobs, side mm -hmm. gigs. And just over time, I kept taking courses and reading books. I would listen to cassettes. I'm that old. <laughs> uh, and then one day, I just kept taking courses. And, and I was offered the opportunity to become a business coach, which lined up with what I was doing in corporate because I was working for Sprint, selling telecom. Mm -hmm. And I was the regional manager for this large area. And I was essentially coaching the small companies that were subcontracting to Sprint. 
So mm-hmm. I, they were training me a little bit at Sprint and then I was learning it on my own. And then I decided I'm leaving corporate, no good for me. And I went into business coaching full-time. So my specialty is I'm a turnaround business coach. Ah, there's a need for that everywhere. Mm-hmm. Totally. To turn the business around while you're still running it or build the plane while you're flying it is the. There you go. Answer. And yeah. so your specialty, would you say it would be economics or people? Hmm. My specialty would be time and time management, okay. team and people. So that one for sure. So time, team, money, of course, uh, and then strategy, like growth strategy, exit strategy. And inside of all that comes sales and marketing and people and hiring and manufacturing or processing things as efficiently as possible, but always also with the mindset of success. Gotcha. You know, because your website, I poked around on that a little bit, 10XBLT. And it's really a great landing place for those who want to work with you. So what was fascinating to me was you have a a remarkable guarantee to those who work with you. Could you tell us about that? Yeah. Well, it's 10X, 10X built, right? So and it's funny because the name 10X built, somebody was like, is that a sandwich order? What is that? 10 BLTs? (laughs) BLT, exactly. Right. Which, by the way, now makes me hungry, but it's not. No, it just means 10 times your building company. So I've always been interested in construction trades. I mean, I grew up in the construction trades. It was part of my work history. I was a framer, you know, like framed houses. And I was a painter, obviously, for a while and did small home renovations. Then I went away from it thinking, you know, if I'm going to be a business coach, I should work with chiropractors and dentists. And they're great people. I just didn't want to work with them anymore. You know, when I became a business coach back in 2000, I've been like a business coach since the turn of the century, Mm. my first two clients, and I always get the order mixed up, but one client made coffins like caskets and the other one made pool tables. And I have never looked back. So I've got lots of customers, lots of, you know, one of my shows is called cabinet maker profit system. Mm -hmm. It's just for cabinetry and architectural millwork and uh, furniture makers the other one's called Profit Tool Belt. It's for all construction trades. I don't even know if I've answered your question. Anyways, 10X Built is the guarantee where if you work with me, I'm going to show you how to 10 times the output of your company, either 10 times more profit, 10 times more sales, 10 times bigger. But the BLT stands for what people really want, Kathleen, which is not usually not more money. Mm-hmm. They want what they can do with the money. And so the BLT is 10 times more boat, 10 times more lake, 10 times more truck. So if you want to tow a bigger boat to a nicer lake with a newer truck, talk to me. I'll show you how to get there. Okay. That is catchy. I'm goofing around, but now I'm dead serious, but I do like to have fun. I hear 10X built and that's boat lake truck. Yeah. I gotcha. All right. Well, you know, uh, why don't you tell us you, you have focused on the construction business. Is that just a passion for you or why that one in particular? So Again, I do things really based on my gut. And now I do I do look for data sources too, but I really look at my gut. And what's important for me in business coaching is that I'm dealing with decision makers. So people who can and will make decisions. So I'm happy when uh, an HVAC contractor who's working with me says, Dom, I don't agree with what you're saying. I don't think that's the right path and we're not going to do it. I'm like, okay, what are we going to do? And they'll say, we're going to do this. Right. So they're very, they're willing to call me on something and I'm willing to call them. That's a healthy relationship to me. What I didn't like about other professions I've worked with is they didn't make decisions. Um, Contractors make decisions very fast. 
And so they can get results very fast as long as they're willing to take action. And so that's why I focus there. I can see that. Well, they, they usually are up against some tight timelines. Yeah. So I can, I can see why they have to make those decisions. But when you yeah. think about your clients, what are the top two to three issues that you help them with? They usually don't have a plan. They mm. want to grow, but they're frustrated. And they're frustrated by, again, maybe their time is being pulled in a million directions and they're just not taking home what they should or what they deserve. And so at a certain point, you start to get a lot of self-doubts. Like, why am I working harder than ever before, but I'm not making the money I deserve? And then that really comes down to time and time management and the way they're running the company. Well, talk to us about time management, because oh. as you get older, it's the hottest commodity that you have is time. Know, right? Yeah. So how do you talk so, about that? Do you know, Kathleen, how I said I really like to keep things light and funny? Yeah. This is going to help people remember time management. Time management is like brushing your dog. You're just never really done. Oh my gosh. Truth. Truth. Right? Yes. Isn't that true though? Yes. Like you go brush your dog and you're like, and the dog's so happy. Oh, thank you for brushing. And then you're done. And then you go pet it two minutes later and you're like, seriously, I just spent 45 minutes brushing. Yes. Yes. It's the same thing with time management. So time management is about priority management. Mm -hmm. That's what time management really comes down to. What are my priorities and how am I sticking to those? And my priorities change throughout the day and throughout the week and throughout the month, right? Because when I've worked a little bit on the first priority, well, now the second priority becomes important. And so there's a constant management of that that has to go on. And that's mm -hmm. why I say time management is about priority management. And the thing to keep in mind is you're never really done, which is why it's mm -hmm. like brushing your dog. And, you know, I always think, and I've always heard, you always have time for the things that matter, but that's all about the priority. If it's a priority, I have time for it. Yeah. And you know what the construction people will say? What's or that? The, what we say back to construction people is we didn't have the time to do it right the first time, but we have all the time in the world to do it right the second time. Oh, I hear Which you. Is painful, right? That goes straight to margins, stress, yes. uh, customer service, people not being happy, timelines. Yes. Yes. So you're probably starting to get a sense of the kind of coaching I do, right? It's I about having really simple systems to run the business with just confidence. Gotcha. So if we think about it a little bit differently from a franchisee's perspective, you know, one of the biggest costs in building a franchise can be construction. And so if I am someone who's, who's working with a construction company, what mm -hmm. kind of advice would you give to me to maximize my time and money? So first of all, if you're in a franchise, lean heavily on your franchisor or your gotcha. area developer, right? Because they've done this project. Let's just for the sake of an example, say you're building a yogurt place. It could be anything. You could be a franchise medical clinic. It could be anything, right? Mm -hmm. But let's just say yogurt because now I put yogurt in everybody's head. They're going to want one within the next 24 hours. True. But that franchisor or area developer has built 50 of these things. Why would you ignore that? That's right. Right? You, I bought into the system because I wanted shortcuts. So they're going to help me there. And if they're not helping me, seek the help of other franchisees. Don't say, oh, I'm the new guy. I shouldn't call anybody. Yeah, call somebody in Nebraska. Call somebody in California. Call somebody mm -hmm. in Maine. Talk to other franchisees. Hey, what did you learn about doing a build-out? Hey, I've got this quote for HVAC. What do you think? And some of them are going to say, well, I don't have time to talk to you. And others will talk to you. But use the resources at hand, which is why you bought a franchise. You want to stand on the shoulders of giants, those who came first, right? Don, that so, is such sound advice. Do you know how many people who have worked with me as a coach and they've been a franchisee? Hmm. And I'll say, do you have your operations manual? And they'll say, yeah, but it's no good. Uh, what about your franchise support person? Ah, uh, he doesn't know what he's talking about. I'll bet you he or she does. 
but they don't they don't want to build that relationship with that person for whatever reason. Anyways, sorry, I'm off on a tangent. Catherine. No, keep going. <laughs> so I don't know that your HVAC HVAC quote is going to be right or your cabinetry quote is going to be right, but you know who's going to know? The other 14 or 15 franchisees you talk to, the area developer or area representative, as your structure might be, and they're going to keep you in the zone anyways. And then the second thing is the lowest quote is probably not your best. Because when I need to open this yogurt store, the key word in that sentence is open. Mm. I can't, until we start that machine going, until we start the cash register, we're not making any money. So somebody who's going to drag out my opening dates is not my friend. And if they're going to be cheap, but slow, I don't want you. I want to open now. Mm -hmm. That's true. Because that time costs money. And right. That's carrying costs that you're typically, you're either carrying the loan for or maybe friends and family money. Mm-hmm. Right? Or you've hired people and they're waiting to work for you and you could lose yeah. them if you don't you open on time. Yeah. There's so many things. Yes. Yes. So many things. If you have to delay an opening, that is a great consideration, but I love the one about leaning on those who've done it already. And that is the beauty of franchising. It is. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. So let's talk about some more of your expertise so I was fascinated with that and your podcast topics. You have wonderful podcast topics, by oh, the way. And so let's talk about one that you discussed, which was attracting and retaining great people. Mm. And then I want to talk about an article I read about unit economics. But the franchise world is always interested in that. And it seems in today's world, recruiting is not as difficult as retaining. Sometimes you can hire all day long, but you just can't keep them. But maybe it's because you didn't hire right. So what are a couple of tips you have along those lines? For recruiting or retaining? Why don't you start with recruiting and then we'll jump into the difficult one. Okay. So thank you. And recruiting right now is a hot button because it is hard to find people first. Mm -hmm. And it's always been hard to find good people. It's always been hard to find good people, but it's more important to me that I find good people. Now, a lot of that has to do with me as the owner. And so finding the right culture fit, I know people think, oh, here's a business coach talking about culture, (laughs) but culture's everything. It's the glue that holds your operations manual together. And people who overlook that are always struggling in business. But when you build the right culture, whatever your culture is, then you suddenly have a team that's truly working together and that gets your systems working together. So it's, it's like the, it's almost like a hidden software running behind a successful business owner. So when you write your ads, write your rooting ad for people who are right for your company, right? If you want a company full of people who place blame and make excuses, who are negative, who are in denial, who see the world through small minded eyes, then write an ad for that kind of person and then interview that person and then hire that person and then wonder why you have small minded, blaming, excuse making people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But if you want the what we call the winners of the world, people who are positive who take responsibility, who take ownership, then write an ad that speaks to that person. And you have to, you have to craft the words to do that. And then you have to have filters in place and make people go through those filters, Mm -hmm. right? If I put an ad out there and say, tell me about a time you took ownership, they're going to go, okay, well, there's an interview question. I took ownership when I Mm -hmm. blah, you have to be a little more clever than that. And we deal with that a lot, right? True. But you have to craft it from the very beginning, Mm -hmm. very beginning. I used to tell my managers when I was running restaurants that, you know, the interview is when they're at their very best. So if they're not smiling at the interview, they're probably not going to smile behind the counter. Yeah. 
That's know, yeah. This, it's you, you have to find that right person and find ways to find out what they're really like. You know, ask mm-hmm. them situational questions. Mm-hmm. Um, here's one of my favorite things in an interview is I'll tell you, I'll say, okay, Kathleen, thanks for the interview. And I'll end the interview while we're still sitting there. And then I'm amazed at what people say after they think the interview's over. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I was really worried about meeting you because everybody else said you're a real beep, beep, beep. Oh, my gosh. And I'm like, oh, okay. That's funny. Cool. I always end an interview with tell me something you wish I had asked you. Because, you know, people prepare and they <laughs> think they have something great to tell you and you just may not ask the right question. Yeah. I go to something social, like tell me about a social situation, Ah, but really it's that walk between leaving my desk. If we're doing a face-to-face and the door where most people blow the job and they don't even know it, but they just say something at that last bit. Right. Yeah. They relax. Right. They think it's over. So then their true, true personality shines. I actually have a two-step interview system and it's more important the higher you go in an organization, but the first step is not me. It's my trusted number two in charge, like it might be an office manager and they'll call the person out of the blue and ask just a couple of quick confirmation questions. Mm -hmm. And then my office manager has a hundred percent the right to cancel anybody if they didn't like what they said. And there's some important questions in there, Um, but you learn it over time or you talk to me and I show you how to do it. But yeah. Oh, fascinating. Boy, we could talk about people all day long and we didn't even touch on retention. So do you have any top retention practices? Well, yeah, you have to be intentional about retention. That's not supposed to rhyme, I guess, but it did. But you know, it's really hard to keep good people, Mm -hmm. but it's not hard to keep good people engaged, right? So I have to actively think about these things. It's just run your business on purpose is what I'm going to say. So if you want to keep good people, what are you doing to keep those people engaged? You know, if you treat it like it's a, a job where they're just stamping out cookies all day. And that's your job. Your job is to stamp out cookies. I don't want to hear from you. I don't want your opinions, but Mm -hmm. you can get people engaged and you can teach them about your values and your vision. You can do little things to make a team and you should. Mm -hmm. I think you're right. I think intentionality is really the key and thinking about it every day. Boy, I'll tell you the war on labor is real and the war on talent is really what you're looking at. So Yeah, I can see that. Well, let's talk, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about unit economics. So you wrote a great article in Forbes. You've actually written quite a few articles in Forbes. Yeah. One is it was focused on identifying and fixing profit leaks within your company. And it was interesting to me because you listed eight. And from my experience, I recognized a few. So I thought maybe we could talk about them. So one that was fascinating was the wasted efforts. You want to talk about what that means? Oh, so wasted efforts is one of the most frustrating things. So thank you, by the way, for reading the article. I always wonder, yes. do people even read these things? Oh, yes. <laughs> but um, have you ever heard the saying, death by a thousand cuts? Oh, yeah. So most business owners have that going on. And so it's scary to think, well, let's do the math, thinking about the future. If you found a way to save $100 a day, every day of the year, how much would you save as a business? A lot. right. Well, 36.5, you know what I mean? Like you're saving a lot, especially if it compounds. So it, it pays to go find these profit leaks and fix them. And so wasted efforts is really, this is, this happens all the time where you've got two people doing one job or, and this one's going to hit some people right at home. Do you have somebody in your company who is answer shopping? Hmm. So 
Um, now, people who have kids might have seen answer shopping, but Kathleen, let's say you and I are both owners. Let's just use the yogurt place again, right? So I'm going to ask Kathleen a question about something that is in my task. Let's say it. Let's say that I'm the closing manager, mm-hmm. right? So Kathleen and I are both owners. Um, and now in this case, I'm going to be the employee who's the closing manager. I'm going to say, hey, Kathleen, do I really need to um, sweep at the end of the day or can we just leave it for the opening manager? So you give me the answer, say, no, no, you need to sweep. Okay, so now that same closing manager comes to Dominic and says, do I really need to clean her? It makes more sense to send it to the opening manager. It's so much quieter. And they get an answer from me that says, yes, that's a good idea. So they've just answer shopped. They've asked the same question to both owners, trying to get a different answer that's the one they wanted. That's wasted efforts. They Mm -hmm. just took 10 minutes of your time, 10 minutes of my time, and they're playing games. And Mm -hmm. those games can't be tolerated. So if you get a yes or a no from one of the owners, that's the end of that question. Can't ask it again. Mm-hmm. So that's a, that's an example of wasted efforts in a super specific, but look for those things happening in your company, because I'm going to show you how to make more money or more time by fractions at a time, not leaps and bounds. You know what, Dom, there was an example when I read this, I thought of when I ran 10 restaurants for a while and oh, one of so the things we're on topic here, it was something, one of the things that would surprise me is because we had not ordered correctly in one of the restaurants. So they ran out of something. They would have Mm. to run to another restaurant and borrow it, if you will. So they would actually, because you have to use products that are approved. So they would actually waste time going all around the city, getting what they needed because they ran out. And you talk about a wasted time and a wasted effort. Unbelievable, right? Yeah. And that's just from not ordering properly or somebody not filling in the form or however you were doing it, right? Filling in the screen on what needed to be uh, ordered. So wasted efforts is a massive generator. And once you start to understand your revenue responsibility per hour as a franchise owner, you start to understand that you getting involved in some of these little conversations is way beneath your pay grade. And I'm not being disrespectful, but Mm -hmm. as a franchisee or franchisor, you're responsible for the, the top level direction of that unit. The, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the unit has to be running effectively so you can do your job effectively. Mm Mm-hmm. And I like the way that you positioned it as all these small things add up to where they're no longer small. Yeah. Makes a difference. And then you don't know where to start. Yeah, exactly. And then you also talked about reports and that made me smile because we live in a world of data oh, and yeah. the amount of data is overwhelming. And I always tell my students, you know, a flood is every bit as war, as bad as a drought when it comes to data. So what did you mean by reports? Yeah. So first, let me say I'm not a numbers guy at all. Yeah. But I am a patterns in the numbers guy. I want to see the patterns. So the reports are important. And I like to see them as graphs, as visual graphs, right? With mm-hmm. colors and charts. And listen, you can say anything you want about me, but that's how I like to see my numbers. I can tell your listeners really quick how to get the right numbers out of your business. Because oh. you're, I think you're going down the same path as me. You don't have to look at every number in your business or you will go mental. Mm-hmm. Right. But I want everybody that that cares about this reports to take a pen and a piece of paper. I want you to go somewhere quiet. So not your restaurant, not your friend, leave the office, go to another coffee shop, right? Even if it's a competitor, I just face the corner with a piece of paper. And I want you to write down on the left-hand column, the customer's journey through your establishment, right? Mm-hmm. And write it down as a series of steps, like a flow chart, like customer mm-hmm. comes to the door, customer places an order, customer gets the order, customer sits down, whatever your steps are, right? Mm-hmm. Next to each of those individual components, think of three numbers you'd like to track to tell you whether that stage is happening properly. Hmm. 
Now, the reason I say three is because in some cases, it's going to be easy to come up with three. In other cases, it'll be hard. I just want you to think about it. Now, go through that list and ask yourself, would it be helpful for my business to understand all of those key numbers? Now, tacked at the bottom of that are some key metrics that come from your accounting reports, your balance sheet, your profit and loss. But most people think when they know their numbers, they have to know their balance sheet and P&L. Those are measurements of the past. I need to see measurements of the future, measurements of the current state, and measurements of the past. So if I'm not confusing people here, I want to follow the customer journey, find some trackable numbers there, put that on a spreadsheet, and at the bottom of the spreadsheet, have a couple of key numbers from your balance sheet and P&L. There you go. You've got them all. That is a great way to look at it because that is what matters. I'm the king of keeping it simple because I'm not that, very yeah. smart. And I'm, you know, like I can't count past 10 on the fingers. You have to keep it. The hard part is to be brutal with yourself, brutal, mm -hmm. and keep it simple and honest. Being simple is often much more difficult than being complex. Oh my so. God. Yeah. Well, well done. Well done. Well, the other thing I want to make sure I ask you about and have, and you talk about is the GSEA. Right. And if you would tell us a little bit about that. And first of all, thanks for explaining those two, those two wonderful profit leaks. Appreciate that. Oh, sure. But, yeah, yeah. But tell us about the GSEA and how it works. Thank you. So the GSEA stands for Global Student Entrepreneur Awards, and it happens in every major city around the world. It's the subset of another group that I'm in, which is called EO, the Entrepreneurs Organization. Have you ever heard of EO? No, I have not. Oh, there's a lot of franchisors in EO. So EO stands for Entrepreneurs Organization. Mm -hmm. And then there's a, a group that's larger than that called YPO, the Young Presidents Organization. Mm -hmm. but, what, um, but EO, Entrepreneurs Organization, has chapters all over the world, and it's full of entrepreneurs. And we get together and we break out into small forum groups and we talk about our individual business challenges. And then we get together as a larger chapter, let's say in Atlanta or Vancouver or Chicago, and you'll see great speakers. And then you go to national events and international events. So it, it, it cascades throughout the world. <clears throat> but one of the things that we give back to is how do we create the next generation of entrepreneurs? And so we go to the student level and that's where the GSEA comes, Global Student Entrepreneur Awards. And what that does, let's just take Chicago as an example, is the Chicago chapter of EO, Entrepreneurs Organization, will put out a, a call for submissions from student businesses. And they all give their submissions. And then that all culminates in usually an event at night where a bunch of the members come and then there's a judging criteria. And so you've got kids that are making like biotech solutions. Mm -hmm. You've got kids that are doing things that are very socially driven, like creating eyeglasses for third world countries out of oil filled lenses that are like just amazing engineering. And then you've got um, one of the students that was with ours was a company called um, that is now called Bloom. But at the time it was a, a box of the month club for women and feminine products. Mm -hmm. And so they had women or young girls on a prescription uh, not, not a prescription. Every month they would get a box of feminine products. Yes. Well, it's a recurring revenue model. So they killed it in our regional com competition. And then when they made it up to the nationals or the uh, globals, which was in Frankfurt, they did really well. I think they came in second or third. Mm. So it's a really great way to see the energy of students and help them become the entrepreneurs that they already want to be. Can you wow, tell I love it? Can that you sounds great. I can, I can definitely <laughs> tell. So have they ever had any franchise? concepts come through? 
I don't know. Although, you know what? My chapter here in Vancouver, you've got Brian Scudamore from O2E Brands. Yeah. Right? Brian's just a franchising machine, right? You've got lots of great franchise companies here. I can't say that I've seen any franchise opportunities go through there, but I'd be surprised if there weren't. Yeah. I'll have to look that up. That's fascinating. Well, anything we can do to encourage the new generation coming up to become entrepreneurial, to become become interested in franchising, that's important. So I know that's important. Well, Dom, you've provided us so much great information and you've accomplished so much in your career. What are you most proud of? Um, I'm most proud of something that you didn't see on the screen. My daughter just came by and said, she's going to go for a run. I'm a dad. Yeah. You know, I'm a dad and I'm a husband. Like really, I know that sounds corny and you almost expect me to say it. I don't care. That's what I say. Uh, I spent a lot of time traveling Mm -hmm. and I missed a lot of my family's major events. And I had to, I had to change that. I'm supposed to be a dad. All this other work stuff is just stuff I do. But yeah, that's, that's, what's going to go on my tombstone. Nobody's going to say, geez, he worked late. He answered emails very quickly. That doesn't go on my tombstone. What does is, you know, a great dad. uh, Hopefully my wife says great husband. Gotcha. You'll have to get her on an interview, but um, yeah, that kind of stuff. I'm pretty sappy. That's awesome. Oh, sappy's good. So my last question, you know, a lot about the franchising world. Do you have any last best piece of advice for anyone in franchising? Yeah. Follow the manual. Okay. Cause if you ask me the same question, what was my frustration with the franchise that I ran? So I, I don't know if we mentioned it here, but I was a franchisor of a business coaching concept and we'll just leave it at that. Everybody can research that if they want. Um, I would have franchisees come back to me and say, well, Dom, you don't understand what it's like here. You don't understand what it's like. You've never been a coach. And I'm like, actually, I have been a coach since before you were even thinking about buying this franchise. Mm -hmm. And then they would say, well, that marketing strategy doesn't work. That thing doesn't work. And I'd be like, actually, it does work. You're not working it. And then on top of that, we would coach other franchise systems and we would hear the same things there. Mm -hmm. Follow the system. The system is there because it works. So first, go follow the system to the T, to the letter, and do that for six or eight months, maybe a year. And once you've done that for a year, then you can come back to me and tell me where you think the system should be improved, because I want to hear it. But follow the system first. Don't come in here and think you're the smartest cat in the crowd, and you want to change it up front. Go use the thing. Now I'm venting. But people who want to reinvent the wheel when we've already discussed the shape, like, what are you doing? You're wasting your own time. And you've got to choose your pain, the pain of failing in your franchise now, or the pain of putting the system in place now. A choice, make the choice. It's yours. Sound advice, sound advice. Well, Dom, thank you so much for sharing with us today. I certainly appreciate having you on. Thank you. Franchise You is brought to you by the Yum Center for Global Franchise Excellence at the University of Louisville. For more information on the center, visit business.louisville.edu slash yum cgfe. Thank you for listening to Franchise You.